there was all this conversation around fake news and thinking about what happens when we have fake audio, what happens when we have fake video, what happens when we can't trust visual and oral evidence. Obviously, these are, these are fake videos, but like banning these things doesn't do anything. It's still out there. People are just going to write new software. Right now, the bar is, can you create a video that is indistinguishable to the human eye? Can we create a fake here that fools a human? Technology is not inherently good or bad. It is people who will use it for good and bad reasons. I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the Demux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, streaming specialist at Mux in London and organizer of the London Video Technology Meetup. And you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demuxed is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Demuxed. Uh, I think this is actually the third one we've recorded in 2019. It's not even the third month. We try not to mention time and place in these things, but uh, yeah, it's, the, it's the end of February, you guessed it. But How far have you moved since the last podcast, Matt? Okay, alright, so we lined up two in a row, and so like <laughs> it's cheating in a little bit here, but come on. So we're, we're lucky to have Phil in person here with us, and we've also got Shamir. Did I say your name right? That's right. right. Okay, cool. We're going to talk about fake video and how they're working to combat it. And we're going to talk about how Amber Video, <laughs> which I said right this time, uh, is helping combat fake video on the internet. Absolutely. So thanks for joining us today, Shamir. Hey, and Roderick's here as well. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry, we have one remote and one in person. So hi, Roderick. Do you guys want to introduce yourself real quick and tell us a little about yourselves? Absolutely. Um, I'm Shamir. I have been working with Roderick on thinking about fake video. I think the idea really gestated in 2016, 2017. We started thinking about fake news and what happens when this plays out to the photoshopping of audio and video, when we can't trust what we're seeing, what we're hearing. And, and Roderick and I have been you know, dabbling and thinking about uh, ways to solve that problem. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Roderick here, remote, and... Uh... Yeah, working with Jameer, as as he said, on solving this problem, building products with Shamir, APIs, and testing out and deploying our solutions onto some real hardware, some real equipment, and seeing how that can really tackle the problem. Where are you based out of, just out of curiosity? Uh, I'm usually in London. At the moment, I'm, I'm in uh, the north of England. So was there a specific experience that got you guys interested in the idea of Fake video. Yeah, fake actually, news. actually, there was three things that coalesced in my mind. One was the Black Lives Matter movement. It was obviously really, really sad what was happening on on the ground. But if you took a step back, I was fascinated by the movement that was formed by the simple fact that we now all have cameras in our pockets at all times, mm-hmm. and we can pull it out and record situations and counter other narratives. Number two was uh, Star Wars Rogue One. <laughs> even, if, even if you were a fan of Star Wars, many fans didn't realize that two characters were brought back from the dead. One which had mm-hmm. been dead for over 20 years, Grand Moff Tarkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucasfilms did an incredible job, and they went back to footage from the past, modeled it onto a 3D head, used a body double, yeah. and he looked like any other actor on screen. I noticed, but my wife definitely did not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was also like, wow, the democratization of this technology has begun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and third was all this conversation around fake news mm-hmm. and thinking about what happens when we have fake audio, what happens when we have fake video, what happens when we can't trust uh, visual and oral evidence. Mm-hmm. So that's how we start thinking about, oh man, this is going to happen. You know, will we regress as society back to our kind of tribalistic roots? <laughs> um, and we just didn't want to go that direction. Amber Video was born from there, and, and Roderick and I have been really thinking through the problem kind of on a twofold basis. One, authentication, and on the second, which is detection. So authentication is where we are fingerprinting recordings at the source level on the hardware, and the detection would be, hey, we weren't there at the source level. Can you analyze keyframes? Can you analyze the waveforms to, as signs of p- potential malicious alteration? Mm-hmm. We'll probably dig more into this later, but do you ever see that becoming um, somewhat of a game of whack-a-mole? The detection side, absolutely. I think that the authentication side is the better way to go. It's just really difficult to get any SDK onto firmware, onto hardware. The hardware upgrade cycles uh, is a multi-year process, and you also depend on different partners to get there. I think the detection side is that stopgap. Yep. So I don't think you could really have a conversation about Fake video without talking about deep fakes. Right. Oh, so let, let's let's start there. Yeah. For those of you that aren't familiar, deep fakes was this subreddit. I think is where it yeah. really kind of yeah. came into the. Well, it was a project, but the subreddit kind of popped it into the it. culture. So why don't why don't you tell us about deep fakes? Yeah. So there's been in the last sort of four or five years, there's been this evolution of what we call neural networks, which are a type of artificial intelligence modeled on biological systems. And the recent innovation that has happened has looked at how we can create and train different networks to sort of try and compete against each other. And what that allows is for these neural networks to be very creative, to create new content from scratch. And through that mechanism, you can do some very interesting things because you could For example, train a network to learn a particular art style and then apply it to some other content, and that's often called style transfer. You might have seen some examples online of people creating very creative and very visually stimulating imagery from from benign content, and it looks like a particular artist like a Picasso or it looks like a a Van Gogh or, or some other artist. But that same type of technology could be applied Rather than having it to learn an artist's style, it could learn someone's face and then apply that learning to some other content. And through that mechanism, you could actually generate new content that never existed based on someone, an existing person's face. And that means you can make a person say something that they might have never said, or you can make them endorse something very dangerous for their interests, which could have you know, political impact, it could have economic impact, and it could have all sorts of far-reaching consequences. And I think what's really interesting about looking at uh, the deep fakes is that they're, because we're talking about artificial intelligence and we're not talking about you know, special effects that are done in films like we were talking before, the Star Wars using the imagery of deceased actors and and recreating content for them. But we can actually think about what happens at the confluence of this ability to artificially generate on the fly new content, making people say something different, 
combined with all the information we've gathered from social media and all the reach you can get with social media. And you look at the confluence of you know, so social media and these deep fakes and you know, what does it mean that now I might receive a video with a celebrity or an important political person telling me something that taps into my deep insecurities or my deep fears or my own political biases. And this idea of deep fakes is more than just fake imagery. It's about using artificial intelligence to trick people and all the impact that comes with that, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, It almost feels like we're at a point of like a perfect storm where you have the social media networks like in a place where their AIs have basically figured out to, how to serve you the content that's like most interesting to you, right? At the same time as this, this new opportunity to create this fake content, it only takes like a few seconds for a piece of content to go viral to your network and to reach a ton of people. And, and yeah. so it's a, kind of a scary moment, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we think about it too, like in, in this like trifecta. One, we're recording a lot more video content and consuming a lot more video content. Two, now we can create and manipulate content with AI automatically. And number three, we can now distribute that globally mm. through the social networks, which are really sophisticated in their distribution algorithms. Mm. Jumping back to deep fakes for a, a little bit. Last week, the deep fakes repository on uh, the face swap, in particular face swap repository on GitHub, um, was a lot of drama surrounding that because GitHub made the decision to effectively censor that repository. So it's it's now the only repository on GitHub where you need to be signed in to view the repository. Hmm. First ever time that's happened. Like GitHub do have historically certainly made some political decisions around things like that, but it's it's kind of the first time they've they've censored but not got rid of something. And it feels like sitting on the fence though. It does. I'm not sure this solves anything. Oh, it I'm, seems more like the optics of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely sure it doesn't. And especially given that forking the repository makes it public and viewable by anyone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> take, taking a step back, like I don't think this does anything because it's no. this repository means nothing. It's right. the yeah. fact that yeah. this technique exists. Like yeah. right. for for reference, for those of you that didn't follow the kind of this this bursting onto the scene. I found out about this because of r slash deepfakes, which was a subreddit where people were using this technology and essentially making fake porn. Mm-hmm. So it would put, you know, a famous person's face on a porn actor or actress's face. It's That's always Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> In the repo it's a uh, Steve Buscemi's yeah. face on Jennifer Lawrence, which right. is terrifying. horrifying. <laughs> People were obviously really freaked out right. on one hand. On the other hand, R slash deepfakes kind of took off. But you know, obviously these are these are fake videos. Reddit Made the decision to just pull the plug on it, so our mm. slash deepfakes is banned. But like banning these things yeah. doesn't do anything. It's still out there. People are just going to write new software. Right. We can't ban that the software exists. Yeah. So I mean, now there's deepfakes as a service. There's websites where you can upload the target video and then upload the faces from different angles, the face that you want to impose or transpose to the target video as a service. Five bucks. <laughs> Six bucks. And this touches on something, right? Technology is not inherently good or bad. It is people who will use it for good and bad reasons. How would this be good? How would you use this for good? So, definitely, this will be used in Hollywood. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely. And there are deceased actors, and the estate of which 
will give permission to a studio who will say, we want to bring back the story, we want to tell a part two, the actor is obviously no longer here, go back to old footage. You know, like I could totally see mm-hmm. them using that. This has been used in commercials without the permission of the estate of the actress. Yeah, do, um, that, do the actors get royalties when they're... Right, and that, I, I think those are like real societal questions we'll have to face. No. Huh. No. Wow. Right now, and the way in which some people read the law... There's ways to parse this, right? Like yeah. the likeness and similarities of somebody. So maybe there is something there and there will be grounds for losses. But this is such a you know, nascent field. A lot of these questions, besides the real ethical questions, have not even been worked out. You know, we're still trying to grapple with getting our heads around this. And you know, from you know, if you are on the technology side, I think you're more able to see how this is gonna be a looming challenge. I think society wide, you know, will we ever be able to fully block this? I think it's really hard, and I think you just need to create awareness. And I think some of those, you know, this conversation around fake news has done that, that there are blogs being passed off as news, which are really intended to sow distrust, for example. And we all should have a more skeptical lens when we read posts on social media, right? I I think Hmm. there's an awareness, and the same will happen with video and audio at some point. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny that we're a far cry from when, like, the worst examples of fake news were when it was just annoying that like your mom kept sending you onion articles thinking right. they weren't satire. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely happened. <laughs> There's another project that kind of blew up on Hacker News recently right. called This Person Does Not Exist, oh, yeah. which was immediately followed by This Cat Does Not Exist. That was horrifying. Uh, Did was you see some of the stuff on that? Oh, nightmare man. fuel. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, like partially Dismembered cat, like not like in that sense, but like like yeah. legs, like not in the right place, and like it, it was freaky. But the this person does not exist is astonishingly good. Oh, yeah. So it's it's interesting the flip side of deep fakes, where right. we're taking you know Steve's face and putting it on Phil in a video. The Phil in the picture isn't a person; doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, this person does not exist was down. Last week, actually, when I was writing the outline for this podcast, the website was down, and I actually just checked it now, and it's back. But it's back with a big banner at the bottom that says, "This isn't a real person. Like we generated this using a generative neural network. Like this is not real anymore." And and I found that really interesting that they felt a the necessity to take it down, but then also to, "Hey, yeah, it's back. But hey, this is information about." This isn't real. This is not a real person. I doubt the cat one needs that. Uh, <laughs> it says, "Don't panic." Yeah, on this. Does produced by a generative adversarial network. Blah, blah blah. Don't panic. Learn about how it works. And while this isn't an adversarial network creation, but if you've seen Lil Michaela on Instagram, she's a synthetic character who seems to have this wonderful life on Instagram and sort of taps into. Um, you know, an Instagram culture of putting your best foot forward and showing this like glamorous mm. and great life. And the production company in Hollywood have tapped into that and created this synthetic character. Incredible. You know, there's no warning. So, for, I think yeah, if you look at first glance, you're like, this is incredible. This is an amazing person's life. And then you realize something's off about the lighting. You get through that, that portion, and then you're like, something's not right here. <laughs> And of course, on both of these, the interesting thing is 
it's about sample size, right? It's about data training sets as well, yeah. right? Like this person does not exist works really well, pretty much because it's got a great training set behind yeah. it. This cat does not exist was not well trained, right? <laughs> right. I mean, there was literally photos from Mike and has cheeseburger in there, yeah. uh, which is why it sometimes generates random uncipherable text at the top and bottom of the images. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is why Nicolas Cage is in all the porn videos because there's so many videos of him from so many different angles. I mm. had never yeah. thought about He's that. He's got a large body of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying that that is the floor for this yeah. working so well because yeah. we mm. produce yeah. so much video as a society yeah. every day. But the amount of training data is getting less and less. Like the the amount that we need mm. to create mm. these faces is getting less and less. Like right now it's Nicolas Cage at some point it could be like, you know, a hundred hours of somebody, it'll go down to ten hours. So then the software needed to detect these things yeah. needs to be at least just a little bit better than the yeah. software that's already being used to create the things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So how do you do that? I think it sort of is a parallel to antivirus software where you are taking one approach and then the bad actors will figure out what approach you are using mm-hmm. uh, and their content is getting flagged and they'll come up with a new approach. And then you'll try to stay either really close one step behind or try to stay one step ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're going to play this cat and mouse game, this whack-a-mole game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. AI right versus now, AI, basically Terminator yeah, 2. Absolutely, yeah. this is really an adversarial <laughs> network. Yeah, exactly. So you're using adversarial <laughs> networks to, to detect. Yeah, you're that's training what, it on things that are exactly. fake yeah. and then things that are real and then comparing them. Yeah, That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a very interesting analogy looking at how you know, adversarial networks work and then... As you say, that's kind of what, in a way, what, what we would be doing because we are designing an artificial intelligence to detect, which is, as we said, how, how they work in, internally. I guess the, the main distinction is that the feedback loop is an instant. You know, when you're creating a, a generative adversarial network, feedback loop is instantaneous, and that's how you're continuously iterating and, and you know, creating so quickly such amazing content, such, you know, real, realistic looking content to, to certainly to humanize, you know, we're looking at it through the medium of social media. That's our feedback loop. But I think we have an advantage there as a detector because we can see all the content that they're generating and they don't know what we've necessarily classified it as. Mm -hmm. So that feedback loop is kind of disconnected. If we don't give out all the information about what we've detected was wrong about this video. You know, it comes down to how we score them and how we report the results. But we do, it, it's not a strict arms race. It is actually scaled in the favor of the detector because we have control over the feedback loop on our side. But then also because the adversarial network that's generating the fake content needs to trick not just the detector, but still needs to trick the humans. Hmm. You know, it's not a case that you can just keep feeding back, keep tweaking things more and more and more until you you reach something that looks like you know just a gray blob, uh, and then it's like okay, maybe that's not fake. Um, but you still need to trick the human, right? You still need to to convince them that this does look like a person, and then also trick all the little things that we can detect that are telltale signs of of tampering. And it's so much harder than on the side of the faker, as long as there's that line of resistance, as long as there's you know some someone here to defeat it. I want to say one asterisk on that. I think there's going to be this period where that's correct, 
until the point where you can generate something completely from scratch. So right now it is like a face-to-face, -face, like Jordan Peele is recording his mouth facial movements that's being transposed onto Obama's face. And Obama's saying stuff and moving his mouth in that sink. What if you can generate from scratch a brand new Obama video? Now that's hard, really hard to detect because there's no like artifacts, mm. there's no like elements in there, you know, like no like interesting cuts on the waveform. So, you know, I think that's where this becomes really, really hard is when you can completely synthetically develop something from scratch. And now it's hard to look at what you're trying to detect there. Did you guys see that video where Obama kicks down the door of the White House? I didn't see that. No. That's one of my favorites. Like he gives a press <laughs> speech and then he like, is this real? No, it's fake. Okay. No, it's fake. Sorry, it's, okay. it's a fake video. Like it's it's usual. Like oh, now I gotta go, man. And then like he just walks out and someone's edited it, so he just like kicks the door down. It's it's so good. It's really convincing as well, actually. But yeah, that's the other side of it. Is like we might have the technology to detect these things, but yeah. there's a long period where people don't even know that yeah. exists and that they should care about that. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, and I think that you know, just from our mind, we have been told since we were very young that seeing is believing. I think we all have a certain recognition that text, even journalism, has a layer of bias. You know, but what we see, we believe it to be true. What we hear, we believe it to be true. Just like those words were spoken or that action in that video is true. That no longer will be the case. And yes, that is a real awakening that needs to permeate society, especially if we don't have the technology to, to address it or we don't have the systems to remove it or flag it. Mm -hmm. So I'll just become skeptics. Yeah, I'll join the yeah. Let's do it. The uh, <laughs> moon landing conspiracists. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and flat Earth. Yeah. yeah. No. What are you trying to say about flat Earth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's touch a bit more on on the the other side of the problem, yeah. right? Which is a situation where the way something has been edited mm -hmm. is more impactful. Like it, it might not be a generative neural network. It, it yeah. it's just footage that has been yeah. manipulated in the way that it has been edited. Yeah. And without wanting to get too political, yeah. the White House press secretary yeah. with Jim Acosta and, yeah. and the kind of karate chop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did this. Like, yeah. like this is this is a real thing that happened last year yeah. from a the government of one of the biggest countries in the world. I mean, the AIDS arm did fall off. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is something that, that really happened in in Western society, in you know major news yeah. outlets delivering this. And I, yeah. I think this is the second bit that so, we've got to think about. So, if if for example, C-SPAN had used Amber Authenticate, mm -hmm. and we were hashing at source at the record level, then we could have easily proved that mm. a few frames were removed from yeah. that um, video that was posted on Twitter to make it look like the, the sequence of events was a was chop rather yeah. than just yeah. a kind of casual swipe. But the point is, yes, and I think this applies to like almost any video, is that the editorial choices people choose to make, no software will solve that. You know, so people, for example, talk about, okay, you know, I'm not sure this is a real use case that like fake news and the news industry is under duress. I'm not sure this is a real genuine issue. But in whatever people understand of fake news, they say, okay, yes, you should apply your technology to for CNN, for BBC, for whomever, because you know, people don't trust the news. And I'm I'm like, 
totally we can authenticate footage, but the choices people use in the edit room, we can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they choose to show just a clip of a, a speech that makes it look like he or she said something totally different, we, there's nothing we can do. That footage is authentic. They made an editorial choice. And I think you see this between like MSNBC and Fox News. Again, not to like take this overly political, but you can see those kind of choices are being made in partisan news media. So can we, can we take a step back? I know exactly what regenerative neural networks are, but for everybody else, <laughs> can we take a step back and talk about, or uh, not, not regenerative, uh, adversarial? Yeah. Yes. Uh, can we talk about what that is and what, like, what are what are there different types of neural networks, and like, why is this one particularly well suited for for this problem? So the um, the way adversarial neural networks work is, you know, because they take that iterative approach of having a a generator and a discriminator, the way they work is to attempt to fool another artificial intelligence. And so what that means is that if you're building an artificial intelligence, you might already be one step behind because it's specifically been designed in a way that fools another AI network that's there to try and detect certain things. And, and what it's trying to detect depends on what you're trying to create. So if you're trying to create a piece of artwork, it might be detecting if it matches an, an existing style of art. But if you're trying to create a likeness of someone, the way an adversarial neural network works is it's first generating content. And then there's another trained network saying, essentially, does this look believable as this politician? Looking at it kind of broadly, that's more or less how these systems are set up. And so that makes it very dangerous because they're, I suppose, in that way designed to defeat a discriminatory mechanism, uh, whether that's another AI or whether that's a human. And that's why for us, it looks like the person's actually saying that content is, it's been designed to to trick. That's, that's how it works. And where, you know, the origins came from, we're using this to be creative and, and, use it to generate something that no one's seen before. But of course, when it's applied in this way, is designed and, and used specifically to trick and to so mistrust and to, depending on how it's applied, to either have a, a strong political impact or, or a strong legal impact, whether that's uh, tampering with evidence or making people believe certain people said something different or whether that's in an economical situation, discrediting a, a corporate executive or, or anything like that. And that's, I guess, what then makes it so dangerous in society at, at large. So just, just so I'm clear here, the way this works is I've trained a neural net that says this looks like a person. Yeah. Real face, fake face. Real, real face, face, fake face. Real face, fake face. Real face, fake face. Then I train another neural net that puts faces on other faces and then that neural net continuously tries to put faces on faces until the other net says, okay, yeah, that was a real face. And so what you're talking about doing is then adding a third neural net <laughs> that is somehow smarter than the second neural net. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> I'm kind of, my mind's kind of blown. Yeah, but the thing is, we don't just need to rely on using a neural net. And we don't just need to rely on, on doing what those two are, are doing, which is you know, making imagery that looks like something and assessing whether or not it looks like. So we don't need to say, okay, you know, this one's trying to make it look like, uh, say, Barack Obama. We don't need to create another network that says, does it look like Barack Obama? We can create a network 
or, or other types of AI that says, does it look like there's been some tampering? Does it look like, you know, the focal lengths of certain cameras don't match? Or, you know, there's all these different tells, these audio cuts, all sorts of different little bits and pieces uh, that on their own might not mean much. But when we put them all together, the way that neural networks work, which is combining lots of different uh, pieces of evidence to create a conclusion, then we can derive a an assessment on, on that basis. So it's not just looking at the mechanisms that, that are used within the systems that are creating the content, yeah. but it's actually looking at the medium itself and it's looking at the context that's presented in and, and all sorts of other things. Yeah. Right now the bar is, can you create a video that is indistinguishable to any other, to the human eye, right? Like that's really, can we create a fake here that fools a human? Because there is no software out there, right? So it can, you can post it on YouTube, you can post it on Facebook, Twitter, and we're trying to provide that middle layer from when it's posted to when it is consumed and being able to say, hey, this is something that has been maliciously altered. And that's you know kind of an analysis on the keyframes on on audio tracks, uh, trace elements that have been left behind by the adversarial networks. Oh, interesting. And even in the video file construction itself, not yeah. just the imagery, right? And audio track as well. Hmm. I, I think the audio track is really interesting because in a subtly different space in a different industry, one of the telltale signs that someone has faked a speedrun, a particularly good speedrun, mm-hmm. is audio issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Because of the way I'm sure, as we all know, AAC works and audio frames and things like that. Yeah. You know, most modern editing software, in fact, basically all modern editing software, nonlinear editors, will end up with tiny audio gaps right. that are totally detectable. And this is how a lot of fake world record speedrunners, video game speedrunners, have been caught by looking at the audio analysis. Hmm. Are you saying this is going to result in a lot more quick time movie edit lists? Because those are a pain to deal with. Oh, I know, I hate those things. (laughs) (laughs) This is obviously, especially with the rise of deepfakes and kind of like this bursting kind of into the cultural lexicon here recently. I'm sure like we have a few, there are a few players in this market like talking about how to solve it. And I know I, I have tried to find it and I can't find the one that I was thinking of, but I know that there are at least some blockchain projects out there around verification. Yeah. And we're doing that on with the first product called Authenticate. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So Authenticate is hashing its source, and then those hashes or fingerprints are written to a smart contract. In our demo, we're using Ethereum, so you can download Got it. For it. example, um, the the application on the App Store, the Apple App Store, and when you're recording through the application, it's hashing and then submits it to the miners, the Ethereum miners, to write to the blockchain, to write to the smart contract. So it's basically creating a provenance record. When I then share that file with you, it is rehashed compared to the hashes in the smart contract to verify the authenticity. And if it matches, then you know since the timestamped record in the blockchain, nothing has been altered. And and you know, without going like too deep on blockchains, it obviously has to be one where it's trustworthy, you know, it's decentralized, you know, there's a whole bunch of blockchain theory in this. But it's effectively an immutable but transparent yes. record. And the articles in Wired and Axios were really about Amber Authenticate preserving due process. So in the event of a shooting, the footage from a police body camera becomes evidence. Mm-hmm. And that evidence gets shared with numerous stakeholders, some whom are there to serve as checks and balances and should not be trusting anyone else and just saying, hey, it's the police, let's just trust them. Or the police shouldn't just say, hey, let's, you know. What the blockchain does is creates that trustlessness. 
So it's hashing on the police body camera, writing it, submitting it to the blockchain. So when it goes through, say, prosecution or judge, jury, activist group, media, general public, they all want to verify the authenticity Mm -hmm. of a recording. They don't even have to trust Amber. They can hash the clip themselves and look at the transparent record on the blockchain. Now, what we're hashing is actually really novel. So typically, you know, hashing is not new, but hashing the specific characteristic in audio and video files allows us to clip video and for those clips to maintain a linkage, a cryptographic linkage to the parent recording. For example, if we apply this to the media industry, a video a news piece might have you know, 10 B-roll shots, 14 sound bites. Each one of those clips can be authenticated. And you can so tell the order they come in, right, effectively yeah, as well. Exactly. So if you take an audio from way over down deep yeah. and then put it back, exactly. that'll be understood, yeah, right? Because it has a provenance record, mm. exactly, and has that link to the parent recording. So even when clips are combined, our software still works, Amber Authenticate. And that's really trying to counter this like whack-a-mole, the detection side. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of refreshing to hear such a legitimate use case for. <laughs> we get that a lot. I'll be honest. <laughs> like being in this blockchain world, I'm like, oh my god, do I have to use? It? But we get that a lot. We're like, oh yeah. my god, this is a genuine use case for blockchain. Yeah, it's, it's understated on your site. Like I, I, you know, just went back and it's right. it's right here under Authenticate, but yeah. like. I'd missed it when I was reading through earlier. Right. Super cool. No, it's interesting that like you kind of almost have to go that route, otherwise Amber becomes a source of of potential issues, right? So yeah, that's cool. Totally. Not to say there aren't other good use cases, but this is just so cut and dry. Yeah. Like a a, we need an immutable trustless. And especially like when you know, people's lives are on the line in prosecution, like Mm. in, in going through court. I don't want to rely on probability or no. trusting another party. The API is 500ing right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> so actually, uh, that's an interesting question. So anyone can hash. Is the idea that anyone can yep. verify the hashes? Yep. So you have an open, published spec for how to implement that hashing algorithm? We have a, a standard way of doing the hashing. The spec itself is not published yet. This is something we're looking into. But uh, what we're doing is essentially a, a standard repeatable way that we expect the users to to then do on their own devices and their own system and their own playback mechanisms. And so yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very much the idea that we'd want the users to verify the hashes themselves on, on the content that they're consuming. Help me walk through the scenario where there's a more complicated process required than I'm a police officer recording body camera footage. That file is hashed. That hash is put on the blockchain yeah. somewhere. And then now we have the video. So like wouldn't that alone almost be enough? Because you could just say, like, okay, you only showed me a piece of this video because it doesn't match the hash, or like clearly you edit it because like the hash is different. Like the specific use case for law enforcement is, you know, a policeman or woman may have been on shift for one hour before a situation occurs, and that situation lasts 15 minutes. Legally, you're only allowed to share the oh, footage okay. of the event in question. So you only want to share, or you may only be allowed to share 15 minutes of that longer recording. And now, when I share the 15 minutes with Amber Authenticate, you would know that nothing has been altered other than a reduction in length. The other thing for law enforcement is redaction. Legally, you have to redact faces of people who weren't critical to the scene in question. Mm-hmm. And the same sort of hashing approach could apply there. So that's why we think like, you know, when it comes to creating trustlessness 
in multi-stakeholder situation, Amber Authenticate is, is what we're advocating for. There are times, though, like for social networks where your you know, videos are being uploaded, you weren't there at source. How do you do that? And that's the second part, which is detection. I think we talk about it as like this truth layer or SSL for video, and we're trying to combat it on both fronts, authenticate and detect. So what's next for y'all? I think we're trying to see whether this is... It's kind of a sad point, but like, does anyone care about truth? <laughs> I'm really trying to explore oh, that. Um, you have to leave that to the end. <laughs> I think we talk about truth a lot, and we repeat it oftentimes. I wonder whether we care about truth as much as we say we do. I think it's been the insight of At this least the ed- true truth. Yeah. Right. Not yeah. just my truth. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that's been the insight of this presidential administration and knowing that maybe there's a gap between what we say and what we actually really feel. So we're really trying to figure out whether you know people do care about truth enough that they're willing that, hey, this product's important. And so we're, we're figuring that out. We're you know early stage startup trying to explore who has economic consequences where they need to know that this is absolutely unequivocally truth. And, and they need products to make sure that in a world of deep fakes, they can say with certainty, this is genuine. I hope I didn't end it off on a sad note. That no, that's, that's <laughs> a, real. It's, it's a really similar yeah. discussion that I, yeah. I see happening all the time around privacy, right? Yeah. Like people, people like to pay a lot of lip service yeah. to privacy and right. how much they value their privacy and care about privacy. And at the end of the day, like if they have to pick between paying for something or taking ads, like, yeah, I think I think people have overwhelmingly yeah. kept using products and services despite concerns over privacy, right? Because they can, and like people keep visiting websites with advertising on them because the entire internet economy runs on yeah. like a lack of privacy, basically. Right. So it's a pretty easy parallel to draw there. Yeah. I obviously am on the receiving side of GDPR every single day, right? Every single time I open a, a website in England, I get a pop-up that says, first of all, can I give you a cookie? Yes or no. Second of all, do you consent to GDPR? Yes or no. Oh, go opt out, right? And, and the interesting thing is the wording of the opt out is pretty much always the same. It's you're still going to get ads and you're going to get the same volume of ads, but they're not going to be tailored to you, right? Which is interesting because that's actually starting to educate users on understanding that privacy situation where they wouldn't otherwise immediately understand it. So yeah, we're, we're seeing um, definitely interest in kind of government and kind of multi-stakeholder situations where there's like different parties and they, mm. they absolutely serve in a kind of checks and balances situation, kind of like what we said with law enforcement. So we're definitely seeing that. I mean, even from law enforcement's perspective, there will be videos where they are manipulated to make it look like law enforcement was bad. So it's actually helpful for each party to know this is truth, this is uh, what's genuine and what's, what's real. So we're seeing interest there, I think, you know, from a startup perspective. It's interesting thinking about how to work with the federal government. It operates on a different timeline to when you're here in San Francisco, it's like a black yeah. box over there. And then timelines are much different than what we're used to here. And so, you know, working on that kind of pace and timing, I think, has been an interesting experience for us. On the detection side, I think it's a lot clearer, you know, that social networks are increasingly, they felt that they were behind on fake news. They mm. need to get ahead of fake video. I think that it's clear that there's interest in a detection like software. And they themselves have teams who are looking at this. Why is it called Amber Video? Yeah, good question. So the linkage is to Jurassic Park. 
And if you remember, the mosquito bites the dinosaur and uh, sucks out the blood from the dinosaur and then yeah. gets stuck in amber uh-huh. for all time, preserved for all time, till thousands of years later, human miners dig it out and and see the mosquito and the DNA of the dinosaur in the in the blood in the mosquito. Oh, but the, <laughs> so, I guess the really interesting intricacy there is they augmented that DNA <laughs> and filled it in with frog DNA in the movie because the DNA, wow. well, also in the book, because the, the DNA samples were supposedly eroded. Right. And I guess that's interesting because that even plays into the idea that it's it's not completely the, the dinosaur DNA. Ah, oh, it's brilliant. That's, that's a clever name. Oh, man. Oh. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining us. My uh, pleasure. By the time this is released, we'll have like hopefully a website up and everything. Oh, yeah. But Demuxed 2019 is officially set. It's October 23rd and 24th. So it's at the Midway here in San Francisco. So oh man, that venue though. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Oh, and beautiful. there's room. So there's going to be more comfortable chairs, I promise. Uh, <laughs> you too could even sponsor those chairs. And uh, the cookies. And, and the, the cookies. cookies. So we don't get those... <laughs> Despicable cookies from last year. <laughs> Calling uh, them cookies is an offense to every <laughs> other cookie. <laughs> uh, so if you're interested in sponsoring, it's you just email me sponsor at demuxed.com and speaker stuff will go up over the summer. I hope you guys submit talks. Absolutely. Um, I think this is a really prescient topic right now. And don't forget, if you want to be part of a podcast, email podcast at demux.com and let us know. Boom. All right, thank you so much, Shamir and Roger, for joining us today. This was really great. Awesome. Thanks for having us. That's all we have for today. But as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree. So please reach out on Twitter at Demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 